singing drunk in love. We'll play it. <laughs> no, 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 no. So let's do a question from Colin Sweets. Sweetie. Oh, uh, Sweets. He says, Pete, has your famous boisterous laugh ever gotten you into trouble? Val, has the laugh ever embarrassed you? Um, first of all, thank, thank you, Sweets, for directing yeah. a question to me. That <laughs> yes. is so sweet of you. <laughs> very Colin Sweets of you. Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. I looked into symbolism a whole lot in it, too, just like the whole time thinking, like, what did that mean? And then I'll, like, look up a certain line that one person said to another person, right. and I'll actually just google that and like i i just started looking up the the symbolism in like people's names and what that meant okay and other people commenting on it and then i read god i i spent at least three hours mm-hmm. on forums afterwards trying to get the like exactly what david foster wallace meant this book to be I had a like a junior high school teacher, like a teacher who probably shouldn't have been consequential to my life, but like it, it's always stuck in my head that he said at one point, a good writer never writes something that didn't have to be written. Right. And so what he meant was there's nothing in this book that wasn't crucial to the story, as superfluous as it might seem. And that always stuck with me, but it kind of haunts you as well because it, it leaves you questioning every little thing in a book. Yeah. And so, like you said, with the characters' names, like, sure, it makes a lot of sense to want to name your character, uh, I don't know, after somebody from Gatsby because there are parallels or whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, But then isn't it also okay just to name a character David? I think it is. Because he seems like a David? I think it is. Yeah. And not because he's standing up to a giant. Right. (laughs) You know? So, yeah, I, I, I don't. I think that he kind of did do that with some names, though. Yeah. Some names really mean something, and other names, it's just like, yeah. Can just... you give me an example? Uh, like there's. What does the name there's... Hal mean? What does? I don't know that, that that the name Hal or Incandenza means anything, but Incandenza you would think would mean something like light. Yeah. But. Isn't I... that a word? Incandenza is that his name? Incandescent is a is a word. Oh, but yeah, Hal Incandenza I'm, is the the main character. Yeah, that name. doesn't sound like a name. It sounds like a like an office product or something. Exactly. I, th- I think I'm I'm confusing it with the word credenza. Right, it could be that. Yeah, maybe it's ink <laughs> and credenza. Maybe. Yes. But and then there's an, a character in it named Lamont Chu, and he. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere that that was kind of a an ode to the Man of La Mancha. Okay. And a certain quote that happens at one point, and then there's someone else named. Uh, Pemulus or Pemulus, mm-hmm. and it's an anagram of impulse. Okay, interesting. Yeah, See, I would like, never do any of that. Isn't that so deep? Like, yeah. how long did it take this guy to write this book? I know. No wonder he like you know. I I feel like I would have severe mental issues if I wrote that book too. Well, and, and how- also it was funny because I was listening to uh, a podcast on the way over by Bill Simmons mm-hmm. and Malcolm Gladwell. Okay, and Bill Simmons was saying actually Malcolm Gladwell I think was the one who brought up how it's so reasonable to understand why tennis players just go crazy at age 24, which I didn't really know was a thing. Is that a thing? But it makes sense because it's such a solitary sport and you're just hitting balls all day and doing such weird repetitive things. And it's not a team sport. Like you're not really interacting with anyone unless you're competing against them. It makes you wonder a little bit if that's one of the reasons uh, DFW was able to excel in tennis because he needed a place where he could do something 
maybe even something that's a little bit aggressive right while letting his mind wander but it also makes me wonder if that's kind of what drove him a little bit crazy because mm. he was alone kind of with his thoughts that well, much, he's just prob- playing that solitary sport he's probably somebody who should not have allowed himself to be as alone with his thoughts as he ended up becoming right and then i destroyed him you know what i wondered after that was i watched the end of the tour oh you did and and i loved it i knew Uh, you would but uh but and i kind of think you like you'll you'll watch it again after you read the book um but after reading the book and watching the movie i kind of thought like you know the movie makes a point of him saying like i don't have a tv i think would cause serious problems Mm -hmm. it's like one of those american addictions that i don't think is healthy and it's one of his great addictions it it was one of his he says yeah multiple times in the movie that that would be one of his greatest addictions Mm -hmm. but don't you kind of wonder if that would have replaced some of the sadness if he got really into a show rather than you know falling into a weird depression i'm not a student of his work depression yet as much as i'd like to be but i did so enjoy that movie that i became fascinated with the the character of david foster wallace yeah and to your point when they go to the terrible film, whatever it was, Adam Sandler movie or whatever. It wasn't an Adam Sandler movie. It was like a, a really bad action movie, and it starred uh, Christian Slater and, and uh, John Travolta. And I forget what it's called. Travolta. Like Broken Arrow, I think. Right. So he's sitting in there, and he is having a blast. He loves it. And like he comes ha- out, and he, the, the girls are like, that was garbage. And he's yeah. like, you didn't like that? That was so fun. Like, right. And, and also, there's another point where he and Jesse Eisenberg talk about how great Die Hard is. Now, Die Hard's different because it like is objectively a good action sure. film. But he clearly is... Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if he's satiated by mindless entertainment. Right. And that is a big theme in Infinite Jest, correct? It is. It is definitely a big theme in Infinite Jest. It's not quite... You know, it's funny because I went into it after having the conversation with you. And obviously it's about so many different things. Yeah. But when you said it's about uh, a source of entertainment that people get so addicted to mm-hmm. that they can't look, that's like, I feel like it's maybe one eighth of the whole book. Okay. You know, there's just so much going on mm-hmm. in it. Like I could name like eight different themes that this book might fall into. Well, how could it not be like, the Count of Monte Cristo is almost that many pages. Right. But it tells a 30-year story. Right. And this doesn't, right? No. It's just, it just tells to a certain the extent, endless innards of someone's brain. To a certain extent, I mean, a lot of the stuff happens on the same day. Holy fuck. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's friggin' nuts. And so, all in all, I would say about, I don't know, because there's some like flashbacks and stuff. Sure. But all in all, I would say about... 90% of the book, the 1,079-page book, happens within five different years. Okay. And they do a little bit of jumping around. But 70% of the book happens within, like, five days. Oh, my God. So is it really action-packed? And I don't just mean, like, car chases. I mean, like, is it really, like, one thing after another, or does it move kind of slow? There's a lot of character... Um should I say that there's a lot of characters or uh, it kind of moves slow. There's a lot of uh, detail that probably doesn't have to be in there. Sure. And a lot of stuff where you're like, you're wondering what you need to know mm. from this paragraph. Like, could I skip this page yeah. and still have a firm grasp on the book? So I don't you know. really seem very satisfied and proud to have plowed through it. Yeah, but it wasn't immediate. Right. Okay. Like when I finished the book, I took a deep breath and was like, okay, 
Okay, this was on the flight back. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty uninterrupted, which Mm -hmm. was good. And then I started reading the end notes to see like, okay, I must have missed something. And then... So you can't ignore the end notes. You can't ignore the end notes. No, you cannot completely ignore the end notes. And then I read the first chapter again. And then I found myself on page like 75 or 80. Oh, wow. And was kind of like... Okay, now I'm just rereading the book, but mm-hmm. I think I, I caught the vital parts that I need to. Okay. And uh, and can come to a conclusion in my head. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thanks, that's, man. That's an accomplishment. It's weird to give it back to you. It's like <laughs> kind of like a, a roommate that I had for... If you'd prefer to keep the weeks. one that you no, badged. No, no, no. No, no, really. Like, I'd, I think if I had it in my house, <laughs> I might look through it a lot yeah and i don't know that i want that i think i'm like okay with having i think that i think that it's one of those books that's supposed to have many different colored post-it notes sticking out of like the entire depth of the book and it's funny because that's what jesse eisenberg did in like there's a scene of him getting out of a taxi and he's got like 400 post-it notes throughout the book which which is another cool way of doing it if you want to do that it's biblical um but i also i i read something by like I almost don't want to like give any reviews of it that sure. that might kind of be telling of sure. of what you're supposed to take away from it. Well, it's very so hard to to find a decent synopsis of the book because there's just too much to say in less than a thousand words. Yeah, yeah. So people pages. just start describing the feelings that you get while reading it. That's the way a lot of the reviews. So do you went. sort of feel like that movie, The End of the Tour, was underappreciated? I do, but then I started thinking like, how many people have read this book, and I feel like. True. without really reading the book or at least knowing some of David Foster Wallace's work. Yeah. But a lot of it centers around his time right after Infinite Jest yes. and his struggle with fame, you know, fame mm-hmm. and, and commercialism. Mm-hmm. And like he mentions several times like, oh man, but then people are going to think that I just did this thing because, yeah. and then after having read the book, you kind of realize like, right. Okay. This, it makes sense who he I was. thought it was a beautiful performance. Yeah. I thought it, it was, was great. great. Yeah. Who would have thought of Jason Siegel for it? I know, and he's kind of drifted into obscurity again. He's got a, a new movie coming out. I forget what it's called, but it's a Netflix movie. Okay. Uh, with Rooney Mara. And I just saw the trailer, and it kind of looks like a, a a romantic movie at first, and then it becomes a Black Mirror post-apocalyptic kind of no sci-fi way. thing. And it ah. looks a little bit too spooky for my for my liking. But that's his only uh, in-production IMDb credit right now. Really? Yeah. I'm really, you know, he's a guy that I really root for. Me too. Yeah. I think he's like think, authentically odd. I think we're both uh, Jason Siegel fans. Yeah. He needs to, yeah, he needs to do something again. Uh, speaking of great stories and overt sadness and stuff with flashbacks, mm-hmm. I saw Manchester by the Sea this weekend. Oh, God. Buddy, nothing could have prepared me for how <laughs> fucking sad this movie is. Really? Nothing. I Like, you know, you just know because that's the dialogue surrounding this film. Like, oh, it's pretty sad. Yeah. Nothing could have prepared me. <laughs> wow. For how sad this movie is. I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, I can go into this and, and be fine with it. But don't get me wrong. It was really good. I'm so glad I watched it. Right. Um, you don't think it was needlessly sad? No, I don't think it was gratuitous. I right. think that it's super real, but... And I also don't, I think I would have been kind of annoyed by how sullen Casey Affleck is mm-hmm. if they didn't show me why. Right. And it wasn't, and it didn't really cut the mustard for sadness, sure. you yep. know? Gotcha. Like, oh, he was bullied in school. So he's like, no, it's way more than that. Right. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't have prepared myself, right? It was, it was great, 
great script. Uh, the performances were great. His his performance is really the definition of subtle. Like he never raises his voice. He never really loses his temper. Right. A, a couple of times he very like very briefly loses his temper and then it's over, but it's all just understated. Yeah, I feel like Casey Affleck in general losing his temper is kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. That's what the film is. Right. Is him making that exact noise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's, and it's, the other thing is, uh, it's beautifully shot. Um, and maybe I don't have a good idea of exactly what cinematography is, because mm-hmm. to me, it of course should have been nominated for best cinematography, uh, just in the visuals of it. Right. The other thing you'll notice is how uncanny its resemblance to Nova Scotia is. Right. Okay. So it's set in this little fishing village outside. I mean, like way outside Boston, like in Massachusetts. It's right. called Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, I didn't know that until last week. Generally. So it, it was this little town called Manchester up yeah. until 1989 when some citizen ran a controversial campaign to have the name of the town changed to Manchester by the Sea. Right. And he was successful. And now that's technically what it's called. Um, and it just looks like Lunenburg sometimes. Or it looks like Truro sometimes. Right. Or, it just, or it looks like Queen Street sometimes. It's bizarre. Huh. Yeah. That's, I would see it for that alone. I I couldn't, I, need, I couldn't recommend it enough. The problem is, if you're in a good mood going in, mm-hmm. it'll destroy your good mood oh God. for the rest of the day. If you're in a bad <sighs> mood going in, it'll finish you off. Right. You'll just <laughs> have to start over next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've only watched, I think, two of the Oscar movies being Arrival and Hidden Figures. So we've seen entirely different ones then. Yeah. I, I want to see Hidden Figures. Yeah, I think it's the most, like, it's the most commercially, I think we had the discussion about how you know, Forrest Gump came out in the same year that like, I don't know, some other Shawshank. Yeah. So it's the most, like those are rewatchable and quotable and they're on TV all the time. I think, I think hidden figures is that movie. Yep. You know, I think Manchester by the sea isn't going to be played over and over again on TBS. No, I think, um, you know, lion I heard was supposed to be really good. Yeah. But it'll drift back. Yeah. La La Land will last forever. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so different. Right. And because there are people who eat that shit up, and I have mm. to say I'm one of those people. What about that that movie, The Artist? Yeah. It feels like that that doesn't really get that much talk anymore, but it's kind of... Because it wasn't that watchable. No, it was more of a novelty movie. Yeah. And yeah, then I wondered, 100%. was La La Land kind of a novelty movie like that, having not seen it? No, it's more charm. I mean, The Artist was charming too, but it's it's more... Uh, I mean, it's... it's catchy and it's sing-alongable like they at, at cineplex they are showing sing-along uh renditions oh. of la la land where they put the lyrics on Barf. the screen exactly <laughs> but also because ryan gosling is sexy and the colors are pretty and no i could see that become like i don't want to i don't want to overstate it but i could see in 30 years um tbs playing it like they might play grease now. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. Um, or Grease Two. I saw Grease Two at least once. Grease on Two was on the same level as La La Land. For sure, <laughs> it was definitely deserving of all those Oscars. Um, I do want to see Lion, and I want to see Hidden Figures. It's interesting. Uh, save, of course, La La Land. I think Hidden Figures is probably the most Oscar baity of all of the yeah. main nominees, mm-hmm. and yet it's not like a sad film. Like it doesn't seem to be about poverty or. I mean, there's probably some inherent racism in it, but <laughs> yeah, definitely, of course. But um, it, it's a it's a triumph movie, mm. yeah. It's, instead of a like a really barren, desolate, sad film, right? It feels kind of like Remember the Titans meets um, 
<laughs> I don't know. Space movie. It doesn't matter. Anything after Remember the Titans. Movie. I'm on board. Yeah. Yesterday, I was having a conversation at work. Actually, I kind of drifted into somebody else's conversation, um, but they were talking about Oscar movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the ladies we work with is like super into Oscar season. Yeah. She and I had talked about it a couple of times. So I she said she hated La La Land, by the way. I know. And, and well, what she said actually was it was a terrible film. And I said, <laughs> okay, then we can't have a rational conversation. Right. Because you're starting that It way. certainly doesn't have to be your cup of tea. Yeah. But it just ridiculously, of course, was not a terrible <laughs> film. Clearly not. Um, anyway, I told her that I saw Manchester by the Sea this weekend. And she said it was really good. And we agreed that uh, Casey Affleck and Lucas Hedges were both really good. But she didn't think that Michelle Williams was deserving of an Academy Award nomination. Oh, interesting. And I said, I don't know. That scene with the stroller was was pretty awesome. And she got super in my face, man. She like she started rattling off names of of like various women and hidden figures, and she's like, You tell me that Michelle Williams is more deserving than and I was like, I don't <laughs> give a shit. Whoa. I, I just said the scene with the stroller was really good. Yeah. It was very defensive. Did but you anyway. start laughing? Yes. I can picture, uh, yeah. yeah. I started laughing and then everyone else started laughing. <laughs> I feel like that's a good response. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I've met my maker. Yeah. Oh, I love that. How was Bahamas? Bahamas was awesome. Yes, of course. It was It was great. It, I went down in uh, like May for a bachelor party. Mm-hmm. And I think half the reason was my girlfriend was so upset with me that i went down on the bachelor party trip and she didn't get to come yeah. so she really wanted to see it and i wanted to do something other than all inclusive this year so i went yeah. with her <laughs> there's some it's it's almost like bahamas almost has a hawaii quality there's like a magnetism to the name of it yeah you can just even if you've never been there you have an image in your brain of what it should look like right and did it match that oh yeah and like i'd been there before like right. you drive down you know you drive five minutes away and you're just driving along this beautiful coastline and there's these little daiquiri shacks and stuff nice you know hawaii i really want to see because there's like mountains on one side yeah. and beautiful ocean on the other side but this yeah i think is the closest i'll come until i'm like in my 30s or something hawaii is pretty pricey i think yeah yeah it's one of those things you have to do like really properly i think so yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, but no, it was great. I, I was driving down there. We our, our host, my friend Fritz, gave me a car. Right. So I was driving on the opposite side of the street, which took a lot of getting used to. Is that but, super scary at first? Uh, it was a little scary, but Fritz, out of laziness, I think, uh, like completely primed me okay. to drive because for the first two days, he was off. Mm-hmm. So he he was like all right let's go here and then he'd hand me the keys before getting in the car i was like you're driving okay so, so i was like ah, again i'd be so anxious about that but by the end of it i was totally fine the weird thing was there's so many roundabouts okay and when you're pulling up to a roundabout on the opposite side it's still kind of your instinct to look the wrong way totally and then so you just got used to like abandoning everything that you're used to oh, and boy. doing the opposite of what is normal and the amount of times that I hit the windshield wipers when I wanted to hit the sig- signal was like, I don't know, I'm probably, the over-under is probably 20. Okay. And, you know. So, uh, I didn't realize that they drove on the, on the left side of the road. Oh, no? Uh, is it a, like a British colony? Uh, yeah, technically. I mean, it's... So are we, but... Yeah, I think them a little bit more, like like the queen, it's very like royal uh, monarchy right i'm sure papa sweets will tell me down there he'll say let me give you a history lesson yeah so i don't know i'm kind of embarrassed but there <laughs> it's okay 
I know that there were like indigenous tribes that were down there and they all got killed off and then Columbus came over and brought a bunch of slaves. So it's primarily like black, uh, in, in the Bahamas. And, uh, uh, so I think it kind of just always belonged to the monarchy because okay. it was like founded by, but they, they got rid of Columbus day, which was kind of a big coup. They were like, no, fuck Columbus day. Cause <laughs> you know, he kept slaves yeah. and he basically like, killed the indigenous people of our island so you got some history while you were there oh yeah fritz is great for that awesome yeah totally looped us all in on and and we like got to go out and get food and stuff and and you know go to the beaches and see all the kind of main tourist attractions so there's so many islands on the bahamas we were only on nassau which was which is like the capital city i guess yeah which isn't really that much of a city but okay um but yeah, it was awesome. There's there's these other islands like Exuma and Freeport and stuff, and they call those family islands. Like they're not quite as developed and city like. Like the cruises don't go there, so they're just more suburban. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little more. Yeah, more suburban, and there's kind of like more of a touristy downtown area, All and right. the cruise ships go in there because the port is the best in mm-hmm. Nassau, and that's kind of what made that the capital island of yeah of Bahamas. I'm really excited for Becky to see Florida and to have that experience of being down South because she's only ever been into the country one other time. And it was when we went to the Dominican last year. Oh, wow. And so like, while that was a super fun vacation, mm-hmm. um, most of the culture we witnessed was obnoxious, right? And not, not, not to, to be racist about it. It's not what it was. It was just, it, most of the culture that we witnessed was people trying to hawk like sunglasses. Right. So we did have an excursion where we went and we got to hold starfish and we saw like a village and yeah, yeah. we sailed on like crystalline water and that was amazing. But the rest of the experience was kind of insulated mm-hmm. and it was kind of boring to be on an all-inclusive. So here we're going to be in the States yeah. Um, and ordering at a restaurant yeah. where, the, where there's no language barrier. So she's going to have all the comforts of home, but with the luxury of a vacation. Right. Except for all the Make America Great Again bumper stickers. <laughs> yes. Which will be authentic. <laughs> Definitely. Not <laughs> ironic. The, no. The things, the thing that I um, uh, don't like about all inclusives is the, the fact that they all kind of seem like they're like in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Like you need to drive like through the woods and stuff to get to the coast. And then you can't really just walk off the resort and be, you definitely couldn't. Yeah. You could walk off our resort onto the next resort. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You can walk down the beach. And have you found that they're like the PR people from the next resort over will sneak onto the property with a clipboard and like try and coax you over. Oh yeah. Or if you're walking down the the islands, like, let me talk to you for a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute. Yeah. Let me just, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so that's a that's kind of a different experience that mm-hmm. I'm not like I'm not dying to see again. Sure, as nice as it was. Yeah, it was interesting um, that you chose to go away so early in the year because you've had to come back to all this snow. Well, and it was weird because there was a snowstorm right before we left, and then right before, yeah, immediately like, before like twenty, like a twenty to thirty centimeter kind of thing. Yeah, then that was cleared out. And we left on Saturday, mm-hmm. and then immediately Monday. after was was it Monday? It would start started about eleven p.m. on Sunday. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Sunday night the snow started, and like everything was shutting down. Like we were looking at Twitter, and just 
It was wild, man. Clo- everything closed. Municipality offices closed. Libraries closed. Every school closed. I've almost never seen Halifax so apocalyptic. Yeah. Because normally when you have a snowstorm, especially when that happens um, overnight or begins overnight, mm-hmm. you go to bed and it's starting. And you get up and it's done, but there's 80 centimeters of snow. Right. With this, you went to bed and it was starting. You got up and it was still happening. And everybody was told to stay home right except for radio announcers and so (sighs) like the boss came and picked me up in a four by four and we drove through it and like he was picking up other poor vagrants on the side of the street who just weren't going to make it had he not really yeah so just people that were clearly struggling in the storm well look there's always i'm going to tell you a story in a second okay there is always somebody who insists on going outside just when they were told not to right it's it's like a kid and you said you can play with all these toys except for this one that is the only toy they want to play with right uh as soon as you tell people it's not safe to go outside they have to prove to you how immortal they are sure so i have a story that i tell every year on the radio i'm sure i've told you this story before um it's like a tradition because it happened in the first winter i was working in radio and now i like to retell it on the big storm of every winter but the problem is the format of the radio station now is such that i really have to keep everything below 60 seconds right and it's like a two or three minute story oh wow and so i'm going to tell it to you now so to do it justice. Great. So this is when you and I were living together in that horrible apartment in Kentville. Mm-hmm. But it was a Saturday. And this was in the first six months when I worked Tuesday to Saturday. Okay. So on Saturdays, I had the apartment of myself because you would go back to the city. Yeah. Uh, and I was working the Saturday evening show. And because we were having such a horrific blizzard, I had to go in to to report on the show, to do to do the show. But my car was snowed in. So I called the cab. And I said, are you able to come pick me up? And he says, sure. So he comes to pick me up, and it's just down the street from the station. But as you're turning right out onto the main drag of Kentville to go up to uh, Commercial Street, we're stopped to let this woman cross the street in front of the car because she's going into the the stagecoach apartments, those big white ones on the corner. Um, And she's carrying like arms full of groceries. And she's not dressed appropriately for the fall, much less a blizzard. Like right. she's in sweatpants and a hoodie. Okay. And she's soaking wet because it's like torrentially blizzarding. Like she's, there's <laughs> not, there's not a, a, a square inch of her that's not like completely ringing with ice cold water. And I'm she's gonna, carrying groceries. I'm going to interrupt you right now to sure. just tell, tell you that I remember a flash of this story mm-hmm. and I can't quite, it's almost like I can remember your face and the cadence of your voice, <laughs> but I don't quite remember what happened so right. i'm perfect wait oh my god i think i just remembered <laughs> <laughs> makes me laugh go it's ahead a, it's a horrific story so he and i were just waiting for this woman to cross and and we're like he says i should ask her if she wants a ride and i'm like of course you should but then we see that she's going to go into her apartment she's already home right so at this point we're just judging her like why did she go out in this blizzard <laughs> to get groceries and not wear a coat And just as she's stepping up the stairs to go into her apartment, we're still like turning around the corner. And so we're still watching her and pitying her. Just as she's stepping up the stairs, her pants fall down. I knew. I knew that her (laughs) pants fell down at some point. Her her sweatpants, weighted by water, fall to her ankles. She is not wearing any underwear. (laughs) (laughs) And she trips... And she falls face down, clam down into a snowbank. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and we're like and and we stop again and we just look at each other like please tell me you just saw that and we're once again we're ready to like roll down the window and be like are you okay right but she gets up really fast and she pulls her pants up really fast and she runs inside like she knows we saw her and she was so embarrassed and so for the whole drive to the station me and this guy are like oh my god i can't believe i just saw right horrific and sight laughing of course like it's yeah. not funny but it's also funny like right. like i feel so bad for her but of uh, course it's funny i knew that the story was she falls her pants come down <laughs> and then it gets like funnier it, it, it continues to get funnier. yeah so i go to the station i'm doing a request show that night so i'm taking a lot of calls um and i get a call from this guy who says my name's scott i still remember his name is scott and he says, I'm pretty sure I, I drove you to work tonight. And I was like, oh, you're the guy. And so then he and I tell the story of this woman <sighs> oh, no. falling naked into the snowbank just because it's amazing radio. Yeah. And so he and I together co-host this radio story over the phone. And it was great. And then I aired it and we went on with our lives. And then like, say an hour later, I get another phone call. Hey, it's Scott again. And he calls to tell me that he had to take that woman to the hospital because she had frostbite <laughs> on her inner thighs and probably in other places. Oh, my God. Again, it's not funny because it's horrific, but it's, of course, funny. How long was she walking in the snow for? I mean, I think she probably came from No Frills. So to go from, was it No Frills that was Oh, my there? God, yeah. It was like a few blocks, and you couldn't, you couldn't move very quickly because there was like two feet of snow, and it was so windy, and she was soaking wet. Wow. And... And she she fell face down naked in a snowbank. At that point, you better be coming from the pharmacy. Yeah. If, if anywhere. I know. You better really needed something. You better need. Other than cigarettes. Yeah, your, your life better be dependent on medicine. I know. At that point. Anyway, that's like a, a story I'll always have with me. Oh, and I hope she's out there. I hope she's warm. I hope she's fine. <laughs> but uh, one day she's going to hear me tell that story on the radio. And she's uh. going to go, oh, no. Or God rest her soul. God rest her soul. <laughs> it could have happened. I don't know what. I, I moved. So I don't yeah. know what came next. Oh, God. Well, that's good. We've had. We've really caught up. I think so. I think snow. we had a lot to say to each other. How, how long are we in right now? Like a half an hour? Yeah, exactly. Half an hour. Wow. So great. we should talk about some television shows. Let's talk tube. Two new shows premiered. Talking tube. Talking tube. That's a good name for this podcast, yeah. which we should have With used. With soak and wet. I've never... <laughs> you have to explain what you mean I've by never, that. Now. I've never explained to anyone that <laughs> I thought the funniest and worst cheesy morning show host would be like, mornings with soak and wet. Yeah. And... <laughs> Either I was soak and and sweets was wet, mm -hmm. or vice versa. And it was like <laughs> I'm soak and I'm wet. I think soak is like is like an Asian guy who <laughs> is probably he's probably like westernized, but he plays into the stereotypes. <laughs> and, okay. And wet is just the the fart joke man. Right. Right. I was thinking that soak and wet would basically be like. What was a douchebag Dan? Dan the douche on Parks and on Rec. On Parks and Rec, it was yeah. Crazy Ira and the douche. Crazy Ira and the douche. <laughs> exactly the same kind of theme, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd have all these weird drops that we do. They have it in, um, in Family Guy too. There's, uh, I feel like the guy, one of the guys' name is the douche. Can't be. Yeah, I remember watching Parks and Rec, thinking that seemed like a Family Guy thing. 
I yeah, I don't know. There is there are like two morning talk radio guys right. who, who are a similar kind of caricature. Sure. Anyway, somebody <laughs> will tweet us at Show Show Podcast. Two new shows premiered on HBO on Sunday night, very different from one another. It is your turn to pick which one you would like to recap in 30 seconds, and that'll be the show that we cover first. Okay. Um, I kind of feel like I'm stealing this one from you a little bit because I think you were a little bit more excited about it, but I just think you can do any show more justice than I can on the recap. <laughs> That's fine. I knew you were going to pick this show. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Crashing, which was the Pete Holmes show. Okay. Your 30-second recap starts in three, two, one. So uh, Crashing is almost kind of a biographical show about Pete Holmes's life, uh, maybe embellished a little bit, where at the beginning of the show, he walks in on his wife cheating on him. Their sex life is kind of soured, and he's trying to perform stand-up and make some money. Not really working, but he meets up with Artie Lang, who allows him eventually, after uh, a series of hijinks, to crash on his couch for the night, and the whole show is going to be about him crashing on different comedians' couches and learning the trade. 29 seconds. That was pretty good. You nailed it. I think you covered just about everything. Except maybe the part where he went back hoping to forgive his girlfriend, and she was yet again sleeping with Leaf. Yeah, I thought that might be a little bit, like, I thought that just saying that the marriage ended was enough justification on that. But you're right. We can we can go a little deeper on that. I'm not exactly sure if she's now done or if she's going to continue being this person in his life. Who Do you he know has who to... that is? Lauren Lapkus, of yeah. course. Oh, she's extraordinary. She's oh, so funny. I love her. She's um, so funny on Comedy Bang Bang. Like... I mean, I like a lot of people first saw her on Orange is the New Black and they didn't really right. they didn't really do enough with her character. Yeah. She was just kind of like this mousy prison guard who didn't really have any punchlines but she's so funny she's ridiculous like there is a a skit that she does with thomas middleditch mm. and it's called kid detectives i don't know if you've heard any of it no god man it's basically like ucb comedy bang bang gold okay and they've done it two or three times mm-hmm. and i would just recommend anyone to go and listen to lauren lapkus and thomas middleditch because i'm not going to do it justice if i try to describe it but right. kid detectives on comedy bang bang uh, Pete Holmes has kind of been making the rounds. He's going to be on WTF tomorrow, I guess. Oh, but cool. He, he was on Nerdist last week. How was that? It was great. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to listen to that one. The two of them are just so sweet with each other. Sure. But it was it was really... You, you can sometimes forget how intelligent Pete is if you listen to his show too much because he's very repetitive. His show would yeah. be so rich if it was only 90 minutes long every right. week. But there's so much extra. I think he really thinks that by not editing it, it's more wholesome and it's more raw right but i think that he kind of does himself Could a disservice when he when he's on this tightly edited um flagship program in the nerdist network mm-hmm. he's just a little quicker and it, and maybe maybe that's uh, a credit to the production i don't know but he had a line that i just couldn't believe how how quick it was he was talking about how um early criticism of crashing is that it's kind of a, a ripoff of louis it's this single cam hbo comedy drama about a guy a new york comedian who gets divorced and then goes on with his life now you can describe a lot of things that way that's sure. a pretty vague description of the show because yeah. of course he and louis someone's are... struggling in new york yeah uh, that's, that's all shows seems a little unfair to i know but i mean i guess the guy the fact that the guy is divorced is pretty important to right. both of those characters um but pete says in defense of that there are there, there's almost nothing in an entertainment that I enjoy that I don't sort of connect to in like a literal way. He says like, 
I'll watch Lord of the Rings and be like, this is my life. Yeah. And I kind of know what he means when right. he says that. And that's why anyone likes it, by the way, whether, the, whether they realize it or not. That's why you like Lord of the Rings, because you feel like it's your life. Sure. And Chris says, jokingly, oh, because of that time you threw a ring into a fiery pit? And without skipping a beat, Pete says, well, that is what divorce is. <laughs> and I was, I was amazed by the time. And timing. then did he lose it laughing at his eye? You're like, ah! I don't think he did. I think that might be. I think that might be. Robbie D says that. Oh please! Um, (laughs) What's this other guy? Ram Dass. Yeah, that's that's Rami D. Rami D. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I think maybe I appreciated it because I don't think it it was oversold. Yeah, I I do. I've come a long way on Pete Holmes. I hated him for a while. Hmm. I just I I just thought he drove me like a little bit crazy. But the more interviews that I heard with him, and everyone was telling me to give him a chance, and I did. I'm happy I did, and I feel like a dick for kind of judging him and thinking that he it was super hokey but no i think a lot of people probably feel that way at first yeah just you know it he seemed almost like a little abrasive and showboaty but i realized that he's just like that's hit that's his guilty pleasure in life is just i think it's real telling, being silly yeah yeah i think it's i think it's very authentic and it's interesting when you hear him with guys like bill burr or mark Marin, who are inherently grouchy yeah and they don't understand it at all right and you know they wouldn't be there with him if they didn't get it on some level if they didn't appreciate him but right. like especially bill burr because mark's come a long way and but it seems bill like burr is still so grouchy it seems like he's good friends with bill burr too is the other funny thing maybe yeah like i think they get along probably pretty well bill burr just had a baby so it's going to be interesting to see how he softens is that his first baby though it is yeah oh. he like he, well he was one of those guys who was super anti-marriage for a really long time right. right but then they got married and she had a baby and he's he talked about that on bill simmons i'm sure you heard that podcast uh yeah i did yeah. yes feels great i wish he had more entertainment guests because he's he's honestly so excellent but You're i right I, i'm not gonna listen to all the sports talk you could listen to malcolm gladwell one although there is a lot of sports talk it makes me like malcolm gladwell he's malcolm gladwell is another guy that i came around a lot on yeah I that's just, a guy i don't know anything about other than the ten thousand hours principle yeah he's he's i thought he he was maybe like the biggest kind of like I don't want to say the biggest nerd because I, uh, but like the biggest, like he is certainly a nerd kind of like pretentious intellectual, but he's not. Okay. Like he, he likes to study into, you know, different elements and certain things definitely interest him and kind of like drive him so crazy that I think he wants to learn more about them. But he, you know, talks, talks basketball with Bill Simmons for an hour so comfortably and, and revisionist history if you haven't listened to it you got it. i really have to i know that yeah. i do I, I have to commit a lot of time to a lot of listening things sure um speaking of people who can be either pretentious uh intellectuals or otherwise neil degrasse tyson is on joe rogan this week oh and i cool. want to hear that because that's an interesting dichotomy of people yeah joe rogan's kind of in the cultural discussion right now why because of Milo Yiannopoulos, are you up on oh, this? Oh, yeah, I know, I know all about what's happening there. And and you, we talked about this. I think you said you listened to the podcast. With he's been on twice. Milo on right. Okay, so the the one he's that's really cost him his throne right. was two years ago. Uh, he's been on since then, and that's the one that I listened to two or three months ago. Right. And didn't finish. I got the gist. I listened to like two hours of it, but yeah. Joe Rogan's podcast is so long. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I don't, I don't know what it is about me that that I, I feel compelled to watch the people 
who I loathe and like strongly disagree with, but I know are good at the thing they're trying to do. I don't know why that I want to do that because like at the end of the day, he's not trying to advocate for any kind of politics. Right. He's trying to troll. Yeah. He of course is trying to troll. He was on Bill Maher last week and like really that was big press for for Milo yeah. until this went down. So it's all been like a, a, a quite a whirlwind. And didn't Larry Wilmore like tell him the fuck off or L- something? Larry Wilmore, you could say a lot of shit about that guy, but he nailed it. Nice. He was awesome with Milo. Yeah. Cool. So I think the the big point of contention was that on uh, after the, what's the show called? After after Overtime with Bill Maher? Yeah. Oh, Real Time. Real Time. But, but the, yeah. the panel segment is called Overtime. Oh, okay. I think. Um he makes this point because they're talking about interestingly about uh child molestation um and this was before that yeah oh god and they're talking about trans rights as well right i think that's like one of the big points of contention in the other left-leaning guys on the other side of the table um and milo makes the point that there are strong correlations between the trans community and uh physical abuse and sexual abuse and that their involvement in cases of abuse is like a huge demographic. And when you hear that as it is, that is of course offensive because it's not really founded in anything until you hear exactly the words that he's saying. And this is what made it so interesting because I read a bunch of stuff on it that was analyzing what he was saying. He is making it seem as though transgender people are the root of the problem in all these sexual and physical abuse cases. What he's neglecting to say is that they are the victims in over 90% of the cases. So if you slip that in there, what he's saying is very true and in fact, very sympathetic sympathetic and liberal, but he's not including that little minutia because it doesn't substantiate his politics <laughs> doesn't troll he's just a troll right. he's just trolling so that's all he ever really wanted to do right um and so i'm kind of surprised that it took this long for it to catch up with him yeah i feel like some people um troll or are negative because it it almost feigns intellect yeah like it almost show like like if, if you give a negative review of something it makes you look smarter than giving a positive review of something yeah you know? well, like you, you weren't um, seduced by its wiles, by by its uh, a, its hopeful ability to to take you in. No, I I didn't even read any of it. No, I'm just saying, like that's that's what being oh. that's what being critical of something right. kind of says inherently. Like, oh, right. you didn't get me. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly, exactly. And I'm going to like, you know, be hyperbolic in explaining why I didn't. Right. And. If you did, then, you know, maybe you should get on my level, idiot. Well, that's why I can't I can't have a conversation with somebody who says La La Land was a terrible film. <laughs> maybe it's overrated. Maybe it is. Sure. But, and maybe it is a Hollywood handjob, but it is, of course, not a terrible film. Right. No, definitely not. And that's that was one of the arguments, that was one of the things that made Bill Maher throw his hands up on Friday, was when Milo started calling all the other guests on the show uh, idiots. Right. You know, I like you. We were having such a nice conversation. That's the other thing. He always flirts with the host. He does it with Joe Rogan, too. Um, But you keep booking these idiot guests. And, like, one of the guys on the other side of the table is, like, 
is a spy. He's You're like right. he's like an intelligence. Yeah, op. yeah. They have that guy on a lot. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's Malcolm something, like former FBI agent or CIA agent or something. Anyway, so what happened was somebody <laughs> unearthed an old Joe Rogan clip where Miley Yiannopoulos was talking about having been molested as a fourteen-year-old altar boy or whatever by a priest, and he he kind of uh, forgave it, uh, refused to admit that it was molestation because he says it was consensual even though he's 14 and it really just normalized the whole idea of a pedophilia right um so i don't know if you would say he condoned pedophilia but he normalized it and that's obviously a thing that's not okay these days no definitely not yeah i you know what i don't even want to like look into it i just want to hopefully let that guy or just want to hope that that guy ends up falling off the face of the earth you have 15 minutes yeah when you're a big mouth right let's talk about crashing so what did you think of the of the pilot i thought it was really great i thought it was like a little it was a little pathetic but it's interesting to hear uh to see this visual representation of a story that we've heard pete tell a lot in little bits and pieces definitely um a line that really stood out to me was when he's confronting his wife and her lover and he says, who is this guy or whatever? And she says, you know him. He teaches art at my school. And he says, he's not even a comedian. Yeah. Like, that's what really yeah. takes Pete aback. Because I've... in his mind, being a comedian is the be all end all. Right. And he thinks that about Artie Lang too. Like, you're Artie Lang. I want to be you. Well, and he makes a couple other uh, comparisons to much grander vocations. Like he says, before he finds out she's cheating, just think of it as like I'm a cop and I work nights. Yeah, okay, it's not the yeah. same. And or like you have to support. It's me. like you're it's putting like, me through med school. It's like you're putting me through med school. Yeah. So it's clearly representing the fact. It's illustrating the fact that he holds comedy. How important he thought it was on such a high high platform. Yeah, and yeah, it does and, have a great importance. And he got there, which is the other cool thing to realize while watching this show is you know he's always put put comedy in such a high regard. Yeah. And succeeded. I thought Artie Lang was really good. He was great. He was so, and he was, uh, they did a You Made It Weird a couple of weeks ago with him and Judd Apatow. Yeah, I didn't listen to it yet. I listened to uh, the Seth Rogen episode before that and planned on listening to the next one. He's such an interesting guy, Artie. Like as a big Stern fan, I'm, it's, it's, it's really interesting to go back and listen to when his time with the Howard Stern show imploded. Wait, um, what happened there? So I'm a I'm a total right. uh, novice on this. Explain to me. Okay, everything. so Artie Lang was a regular on the show. Mm-hmm. He was there every day. He was a co-host on the show. Oh wow. He was. Yeah, that's probably what made him most funny. Like he was on Mad TV before that, and uh, he, I think he had something of a career punching up scripts, and he was always a, like a, a working stand-up comic. But he showed up every day to the Howard Stern show. Right. I think because Norm Macdonald uh, introduced him. Okay. Like, like he brought Artie with him when he was a guest one day. Like, you can listen to the first time Howard meets Artie, and then Artie just never leaves the show. (laughs) Wow. He just never leaves. But there are some really iconic uh, days on Howard Stern, uh, and it really lends lends to the idea that the Howard Stern show is the original reality show, because it got very dramatic Mm -hmm. when Artie was around. There was a lot of tension. He would have, like, fights with his publicist on the show. Um and he was not clean at all. Right. Um, so like he's a terrible alcoholic and heroin addict. Um, and he like stabbed himself in the stomach once he's tried to kill himself like a number of times. God. 
Um, and all of that was Dirty Laundry on the Stern Show, which made for really good radio, plus he was so entertaining. But like towards the end of it, he would like fall asleep while Kathy Griffin is there. Right. Like he would just, you'd hear him snoring. So he's clearly a mess. He was such a mess. And eventually he got fired. Like right. during the show, like you could, you can listen to Howard fire Artie. Lane. Really? It's amazing. And how does it go? Is he it's, like, get out of here, Artie? Or is he kind of just... No, no. Like, he's very... That's the thing. Howard's very, uh, very sympathetic. He loves Artie. Right. And I like, I believe Howard still loves Artie. Yeah. Uh, the last time they saw each other, I understand, was when Robin was very sick. And she's much better now. But like right. for a little while, it looked like she might not make it. And she was in the hospital. And they ran into each other at the hospital visiting her. Right. And uh, Artie tells the story that it was like... Um, I walked in and Howard was sitting next to Robin and the first thing, like he looked up and he didn't even like, he didn't even address the beef. He just said, Artie, help me. I'm trying to make Robin laugh. And like, so Artie sat down and the two of them sat there for like three hours and they made Robin laugh. Nice. And Artie said like, it was like a really emotional day for me when I left because it was like, it was like I was on that show again. Right. And it was like, I really fucked up. Like, like Artie acknowledges that he was in the wrong there. Uh, but I think he was just so out of his head when he got fired that he couldn't fight back. Like he was literally high on heroin yeah. on the Howard Stern show and yeah. half awake. And Howard was just like, you got to go. You can't be around here anymore. Right. Yeah. And so uh. now he's not allowed to come back and they're not really cool. And already has been very critical of Howard kind of selling out in the last few years going on America's Got Talent and having on Ellen DeGeneres and saying that he, he likes when she dances. Like that is very anti Howard Stern. Right. Yeah. But I think there's still a mutual respect. Interesting. I, uh, I'm the, I think the thing that differentiates Pete Holmes show crashing from Louie so much more was the fact that Pete Holmes is such a choir boy. Yes, <laughs> he really is. In the sense that like he's listening to, to gospel yes. or like to preacher sermons. tapes, sermons, yeah in the car while he drives right. and at one point he gets frustrated and like stops it and that's basically about as bad as the episode gets right and well, I- and they show little jesus portraits in his house and yeah he's like one little bit of stand-up that he does early on actually is like a bit about god right which still would be a thing pete might do because yep. he's still interested in spirituality and everything but you're right he's the character is so naive so naive and that's I'll be a inter- perfect way of putting i'll be it. interested to see how he evolves into the pete that we know now right but that could take a little while and it's funny because the the ultimate dichotomy was between Artie lang and him you know, like Artie Lang runs away when the homeless man jumps them with a knife and Pete tries to kick him and then ends up getting stabbed <laughs> yeah. and finds Artie like like a, a kilometer away eating a hot dog. He's like, oh, and what happened? Pete's like, man, I got stabbed trying to save you. He's like, trying to save me? Like, what are you thinking? You don't try to save me. You run. Like, you know, you, he's like, you basically talk shit to them and then you run. Right. Yeah, no, I I, th- I thought it was very interesting, and I thought that they opened the door to to something that could be pretty special. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to watch more of it. And Me it too. was it was a great like let's just sit down for what, was it an hour or half an no, hour? No, it was just a half hour. Half hour. And yeah. just watch this show. It was great. I'm not sure there's a whole like lot that. more else we can say about it. No, I do. Do we know who the comedian next week is? No, although we know Artie Lang is going to come back. Okay. They liked working with him so much that they're going to have him back. But I know TJ Miller is in it eventually. And, right. Uh, Sarah Silverman. I don't know if they do Mulaney, but I know Mulaney and him are good buddies. So that'll probably happen eventually. He might have been doing Oh Hello when they were in production. Right. Um, 
Mulaney but, and him are good buddies, eh? Oh, yeah. Cool. You can hear that. Mulaney was on You Made It Weird in the last couple of months. I might have heard it. I love that, though. I love listening to Mulaney. Mulaney's another guy who's, uh, I think, kind of tortured. Definitely darker than you assume the first time you listen to his stuff. Yeah. Like, even when you listen to New in Town and there's this long monologue about alcoholism. Right. You still just think, like, oh, also kind of a choir boy. Oh, you just kind of look like a like a Midwestern right. little and, kid. And then the next special, doesn't he talk about how he doesn't drink anymore? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he hasn't drank as long as he's been famous. But right. there's just always been little nuggets in each special about how he has some dark sides. Right. Um, and also, he's just kind of cynical, I think. He's yeah. also kind of burned up about things. Right. Um, yeah. Can't wait to see more of that. Me too. We can we can do an up, a weekly update. We didn't talk about the Alex uh, or the Alec Baldwin SNL. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember it so well now. It was pretty good. I just watched it the other day because I missed. Oh, wow. What'd I, you think? Uh, I was in Bahamas when it aired. I thought it was good. I, again, I didn't think it was an amazing One episode. Trump sketch. Yeah. Well, Which I guess is fair. Two if you count the Leslie Jones one. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. That was really good. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like it was, it was fine. I thought the monologue was good with Pete. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, I'm struggling I thought to Sean, remember everything. Sean Spicer was the, the cold open and that was pretty good. Yeah. Now they need to take a break from that for like a long time. Yeah. <laughs> did it twice. It was the same both times. Although, um, having Kate McKinnon as the, was it chief justice or yeah. As, um, she was funny. Yeah. She's, she's can do anything. Yeah. She's she really so good. Can. She's certainly the the shining light on that show, I think. It seems that way. Yeah. As much as I was reluctant to see it that way at first. Mm-hmm. We should talk about this other show. All right. Let's get I can't believe it. I have to do this in 30 seconds. This is going to be tough. Yeah. Do you uh, want to time? Yeah. Do you want to use my phone? Sure. Here. Just you uh, bring it up. Reset. I'll click the time button. Oh. The name of the show is Big Little Lies. No, that's a four I started minute clock. you on four minutes. Four minutes. Well, I still would know when 30 seconds was All done, right. but okay, I'll, I'll go to the stopwatch. I just used the stopwatch. And All right. No sorry. editing, folks. This is real live <laughs> podcasting. All right. One, two, three. Okay. It's the show about these suburban housewife types. A couple of them are quite spoiled and they have their lives revolve around their children who attend this public school. And then Shailene Woodley moves to town and she's kind of a little bit more modest and she tries to befriend these other richer women and she likes them. They're nice to her, but they're also kind of snobby. And there's also constantly these flash forwards to when somebody gets murdered and we still haven't figured out exactly who it is who gets murdered, but it seems like it's probably one of the wives or one of their husbands or one of the kids. Oh, and someone got choked. Oh, I ran out of time. <laughs> I stopped it right at 30 seconds. Oh, and someone got oh, no. choked. I left out that hugely important arc involving the, the little the boy choking child. the little girl. What, well, we don't know that. We don't know, and probably not, actually. Right. Um, so, yeah, there was, a, there was one point at the school where a little girl claims to have been choked by Shailene Woodley's little boy. Yeah, the show starts with all of the moms basically driving their kids to school. Right, and, and it's kind of, school. they're kind of a, an archetype we've seen before, mm-hmm. like these snobby moms who, uh, these these Volvo moms. Yeah. Um, Reese Witherspoon, and, and Nicole Kidman seems a little bit more complicated than Reese Witherspoon. Like, Reese yes. Witherspoon's just kind of the local gossip. Right. Nicole Kidman seems to have a dark side. In the sense that, that she has nothing really to do with. She's just... I think she's in an abusive relationship. Right. And I think that becomes a more relevant theme. Yeah, but that was a bit of a twist. It was. It was interesting, too, that in the discussion about the little boy who may or may not have choked the little girl, 
Alexander Sarsgaard, who plays her husband, is like, our kids are not to go around the boy who might be violent. Right. And then a beat later, he almost hits her. Yeah. It was very confusing. Oh, and then Laura Dern was kind of dark and confusing, too. Certainly. Yeah, she was... Laura Dern basically just sided with her, like, four-year-old daughter immediately and told her son that or told Shailene Woodley's son that like, if he ever did something like this, she would like what's, find him. What's going on with Shailene Woodley's son? Cause they had a couple of haunting little frames where he would appear above her bed. And I was were, wondering that you were supposed to be troubled by that. I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did I was going to bring that up. Maybe there is something up with, with the, the boy, or maybe we're just supposed to think that like, I, is it, is it so inconceivable that Shailene Woodley is the one who gets murdered? I mean, for one, it's very hard to make heads or tails about who exactly is the murder victim right. and all these little testimonies and these little uh, detective interviews they're conducting with other parents of students at the school. Right. But they do refer to Madeline, who's Reese Witherspoon, and Celeste, who's Nicole Kidman, in such a way that it didn't really feel like they were the victim. Do you well, know what I mean? Ma- like- Madeline and Renata, who is Laura Dern, yeah. so... so uh, uh, Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst. I always confuse them. Reese Witherspoon, Reese Witherspoon. and uh, Laura Dern seem to be the two that are the most at odds. And like, yeah, you know. If- but do you, do you know what I mean? Like the inspector would say to the interviewee, "Now let's talk about Madeline McKenzie." Right. And I was just like, that doesn't sound like a, a thing you would ask if you if that person was the victim. Right. Like it seems to me like like Shailene Woodley might be the victim. Right. She might get killed, mm-hmm. and. Laura Dern might pin it on her kid. Yeah, interesting. Like, like I think that little boy choked my daughter, and to prove it, I'm going to frame her, her son for the murder of his mother. Right, and Zoe Zoe Kravitz, I think, might potentially have something. I guess to... I didn't really think about her that much in the show. Right, she was just kind of there. Yeah, Zoe Kravitz is Reese Witherspoon's ex-husband's new girl. That her two Nicole Kidman used to be cool. engaged to Lenny Kravitz, her dad. Oh, uh, do you think they'll go down that road at all? Probably going <laughs> to go down that road. Man, now here's something. Uh, I was kind of thinking about it and wondering whether to bring it up on the show. Okay. And I don't know if I really want to do it, but... You have to now. Do you kind of think, Nicole Kidman, what's all the fuss about? Yes. Like, what's yes. all the fuss ever really been about? Yes. She kind of... You know, I'm sure acting wise, I'm like, she's fine. All right. Yeah. And even like, she's kind of got like mannequin looks with no real issues. Yeah. That's kind of, I don't know. It just, it seems a little, uh, seems a little almost dead to me. You just kind of see a soullessness in Nicole <laughs> Kidman. Kind of. <laughs> you were so scared to bring up this controversial I know. opinion. I just think of people listening to this and being like, oh, you can't say that Nicole Kidman doesn't have a soul. That's what I say about Jennifer Garner. <laughs> That's true. Shamelessly. I need to just wear my emotions on my sleeve a bit more on this podcast. You should. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know Nicole Kidman's body of work. Like, what are her big movies? I don't, Moulin Rouge? Before that, uh, though. Eyes Wide Shut? Eyes Wide Shut, I was thinking, probably is the um, big one. Days of Thunder, I think. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it was our movie with her and Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise was a race car driver. Her right? other husband. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Let's open up that can of worms. Yeah. Another I just know when I've seen her being. on talk shows, she's been awkward and like, yeah. Although she, and she always brings up the same thing with Jimmy Fallon about how she thought she was on a date with him. And that she was so really. funny the first time. Right. And then they did it again and they were just playing to it so much. Now, even when people mention uh, Nicole Kidman on Jimmy Fallon's show, it ends up getting like a huge laugh. I know. He just like blushes. And yeah. That was a funny bit the first time they did it though. What? So she thought he was, they were on a they date together? They were on a date. She, I guess like they had the same manager or something and he was just on SNL. He was just like a 20 something with a scummy apartment. Right. And so his manager called up and said, I'm going to bring over Nicole Kidman. Right. And he was like, okay, like thinking maybe they were going to do a movie together or something. Yeah. So she comes over to his apartment and she just remembers him being kind of aloof and like not, not that into her. Right. He didn't didn't he play video games at one point? That's what she said. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, so he wasn't giving off a vibe because he didn't know he was supposed to. He didn't realize until 20 years later, he was on a date with Nicole Kidman. Right. And I guess the joke is like, well, I was on a date with this basically like supermodel actress. Right. Never capitalized. Exactly. It's also Uh, weird to think that like Nicole Kidman, who is objectively beautiful, would be into wormy little SNL Jimmy Fallon. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's a mogul now. Sure. Right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like being like Beyonce. Come over to uh, Pete Davidson's place. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe though. Really seem like it <laughs> works out. Yeah, I didn't really. I wasn't that compelled by her in this show either. I think Reese Witherspoon is definitely the charisma of the show. Yeah. Do you know um, she has like her own book club? And this was a book, so I wonder. If I know that this was a do. book. She she. It's I an guess, Australian book. Interestingly. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, I guess, famously, like, critiques books and, like, I saw one of Jen's books the other day and it said, this book is so scary. Like, <laughs> like, really scary. And it just said, dash, Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> not to, not to criticize Jen at all, but it's, it doesn't seem like you could be more basic than being part of Reese Witherspoon's book club. And, and like, that's Je- so, a, a it's the Mindy most, Lahiri thing to it do. It is the most, ba- and that's why Jen <laughs> loves the Mindy Project too. But it, you're right. It is the most basic thing to do. And Jen's like, ah, oh, I always try to avoid getting books that Reese Witherspoon has approved or disapproved. But I've always felt that way about, about Heather's book club at chapters. Like yeah. I walk in and like the table is like, oh, Heather, you really recommend Slaughterhouse Five, do you? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like, or, like yeah. Twilight is is a good read. Mm-hmm. I don't usually need Heather to tell me when the You're... biggest book in the world is big. Right. And who knows Heather? Heather, barely know her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I thought the show had a really cool vibe about it, though. I, I, I thought I thought it was really dark and interesting yeah I'd, I'd definitely watch it again adam scott played a role in it i thought that was Reese Witherspoon's husband yeah i didn't really see that coming i actually kind of feel the way you feel about nicole kidman towards shailene woodley like yeah. i know that you're supposed to think she's like really awesome and like one of the next young great actresses but i kind of think she's the same in everything yeah she's like a little bit contemptuous a little bit sad right which kind of just makes you wonder when like if actors are doing the best job when you feel that way about them yeah, maybe. Because you're like, I don't know. She's just, she seems so normal in it. Is I it guess. because she's just acting normal Shailene? Or, or she's being typecast for these characters. Yeah. Right? My favorite part, and I laughed out loud, was when Reese Witherspoon referred to her children socializing as networking. Right. Oh, she's just networking. Yeah. 
And yeah, I, I thought there was a few funny parts, but IMDb actually classified the show as a drama comedy. Yeah, I don't think it's a drama comedy. Not quite sure of that. Maybe like drama thriller or yeah. drama mystery. Right. But. It took five months to shoot six episodes of this show. Wow. They worked on a film schedule of four pages a day. Really? It's kind of interesting. What What did you think about the houses and the views in the show? Spectacular. That was. I would watch the rest of the series specifically for that. Where was it set? Uh, it's like Monterey, California. Yeah, because it's just like some like really rich suburb, uh, suburb of. <laughs> it was an suburb. It was so upper class. <laughs> it, was it was an, an suburb class. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was the the views alone and the houses, the like views of the houses, and, spectacular. Uh, it was crazy. It was, yeah. It was cool. It made me want to go to Monterey, California. Best she, tourism decision Monterey, California has ever made. Be a part of this murder show. Yes. <laughs> Come to our hostile community. <laughs> Come to our pretentious murderous community. Uh, just don't socialize with anybody. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. go well. Maybe Shailene, keep your kids in the school they're in now. Shailene Woodley's uh, movie series, The Divergent Series. Did you hear what happened with that? No. I'm curious, though. So, like, they made... I hadn't thought about it. it they really rode the coattails of Hunger Games. Like, yep. the, the, the young adult novels about post-apocalyptic uh, adventure and tragedy. Um, and they made a movie called Divergent. And I think they made a movie called Insurgent. Maybe another one. I'm not sure exactly how many there were, but there was only one more to go. And there was such little interest in the most recent one that the studio canceled the film. And they had it reworked to be a TV movie. Whoa. So like this big thing with like some pretty major actors still in it. with like Shailene Woodley and right. So what happened was all these actors said, well, that's not what we signed up for. And basically they all got an out. Really? And they're like, we're still going to make this movie, but if you guys decide it's not the right thing for your career, I guess that's your prerogative. And they probably laid on the guilt like, Oh, but you know, like this is, this is really the series that made you who you are. And the fans will anyway. So she decided in the end, she would not be a part of it. And her statement was, I will not be working on a television show. And it was almost, um, as if television show was a pejorative, right? Which is interesting. Cause once upon a time, that was how it was. Yeah. TV actors stuck to TV and movie actors stuck to film. But, now she's on a TV show. Yeah. Granted, it's different and it's full of other movie stars and it's it seems it's HBO and it seems like the quality is really there, but it really kind of speaks to the evolution of language around entertainment. Right. And how TV is not like podunk TV. It's a big thing as long as it's good. Right. It's a big thing, but people are, I think, still getting paid way less for it than movies. And at one Maybe. time, TV was like huge. Maybe. You know, if you were on the the entire cast of Frasier got Ferraris or something when they won Best Show. Yeah, I think gone are the days of, of like really high paying right. network gigs. Like I know they just re-upped Big Bang Theory for two more seasons. Jesus. And I bet they are paying through the friggin' teeth yeah. for especially Kaylee Cuoco and, and Jim Parsons. Mm -hmm. And then I guess also Johnny Galecki because they're married now. But right. for those three... And they're already making a million bucks an episode, God which damn. is like only ever happened one or two other times. Right. So they Friends might be making one of them. Yeah. They might be making like a million two or a million four. Man. And that's unreal. That's unreal for them. That's unreal. But I, I, they're the exception to the rule because I don't think anybody makes that kind of money. Mm -hmm. For that matter, I don't know what people make for films. Like, you know, when Robert Downey Jr. gets paid $40 million to 
play Tony Stark again, but you know about it because it was a big thing. Right. For the most part, I mean, they make ungodly money compared to the average worker, but for the most part, they don't make that. Right. Yeah, it's true. I guess Hollywood actors are, they're higher paid than any athlete, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like... Athletes' contracts are, like, you know, on the high side, $100 million, but that's over years and years and years. Yeah, maybe. What kind of money does LeBron James make every year? Uh, that's a good question. I'd totally be guessing. I bet the, like, the top golfers in the world make as much as the top movie stars in the world. Over time, maybe? Or, like, maybe, like, $40 million in a year if they had a really good year. Yeah, Plus. Yeah, but Robert Downey Jr. doesn't make more than forty million a year. Like right. if he makes forty he's million to play one. Tony once, he he takes a job Not making two hundred and fifty grand to play somebody else in something tiny. Right. One for me, one for you, as they say. That is what they say. Who who originally said that? Jack Nicholson. I don't know, but it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so pretentious. Right. A commercial movie and then a personal movie. A movie that I don't want to do, but it's going to pay me too much money and I'm going to do it as a favor to the studio. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Well, Um, did we say everything? We didn't talk about shows a whole lot tonight, but... Not a whole lot. That is the podcast. Uh, Was there any other show? Oh, I finished Dirk Gently. Oh, no way. Yeah, it was a great series. I probably won't. No? No. It's so hard. It is hard to keep up with everything. But... But uh, also watched Three Mics. We talked about that, and you watched it. Oh, Three Mics with Neil Brennan. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of Stand put it on. Special. I had nothing else to watch. And so the, the premise is there are three different mics on stage. Yeah. And each mic is kind of reserved for a different kind of storytelling. Yep. And I I, I just thought it was some, some of the finest stand-up I've ever seen. Yeah. One-liner stand-up and personal stuff. Yeah. And some of it wasn't even comedy. It was just honesty. Oh, yeah. Personal stuff wasn't like, there wasn't even necessarily a, a humorous I said to you earlier, it was. if if a stand-up comedian is not afraid of silence, mm-hmm. it's the greatest superpower you can have. Right. You, if you if you're able to control that silence and it's not and you don't show a fear of it, you win. Right. You'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's all it is really all about timing, and if you can yeah. time the silences too. And Neil Brennan's got such a great honesty, but also such a great directing sense. Yes. That it worked out so well in a show, you know, that he just totally handled all the direction on it. It was very different. Trevor Noah's got a new special, which I watched about half of last night. Oh, yeah? It's on Netflix. It's called Afraid of the Dark. Yeah. Um, What'd you think? First half I saw was pretty good. Nice. Race-focused. It's sure. very cultural I started watching Michael Che's uh, stand-up, too. I think that's a good one. It was It was funny. Yeah, I sure. think so, too. Yeah. Better, actually, than he is behind the desk. Yeah. Yes, sir. They pulled it together on the Alec Baldwin episode, too, because the episode before that was the absolute train wreck episode. They were they... probably told, like, you know, it's charming and everything if you slip up here and there or if you, like, poke fun at each other, but that was not acceptable. Man, I'm sure they didn't have to be told. I'm You're sure they right. came out of that show just saying to themselves, we looked like such asses. Yeah. Let's, let's start over. Well, I know I hate when I stutter on the radio. Sure. So, you know, if, like, I screw up a punchline on Saturday Night Live, yeah, that's going to eat at me. Right. And then your boss feels it necessary to bring it up. You're like, obviously, I know. It's the glaring thing. Or almost like it might even be more haunting if Lauren doesn't bring it up. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, because at least if he brings it up, like, you know, that wasn't your best, guys. You can right. say, I know. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. It won't happen again. But if he doesn't, you just have to be, like, tormented by yeah. what he's thinking. He knows. Yeah. That is the podcast called The Show Show with Sweets and Slaney. That's it. My throat is sore, so... Oh, God. All right. Well, let's uh, 
chug some codeine and then get out of here. <laughs> some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> oh, you're that kind of sick? No. Oh, okay. I'm not sick at all. I just have a sore throat. Oh, all right. Because we've been talking for an hour. Gotcha. Pepto-Bismol is not going to help that. Uh, no, but I just love you know the, the symptoms. I love the creamy the texture to it. You know? All right. Well, hey, do whatever you want. I'm getting out of here anyway. This is your place. Never trust Will Smith ever. Yeah, and probably don't trust Nicole Kidman. Yeah. <laughs>